Hello and welcome to Army of Crime Podcast, critical journey through the world of comic books and movies. I am your host, Matt, and I am here with my co-host and producer, Dustin. Hello, everyone. This episode, we are looking at the Hollywood film, The Most Dangerous Game. And we are looking at the Superman collection called Superman Past and Future. So as always, we hunt widely to find as broad a topics as we can here. So we've got The Most Dangerous Game and Superman Past and Future. Interesting that you use the word hunt, given the uh, subject matter of the film we're going to discuss, Matt. Yes, that was a very clever and very humorous pun on my part. Nice work. Uh, which would you like to talk about first? I suppose we could do the most dangerous game. Yeah, let's let's get into that. Okay, so most dangerous game is from 1932. So we're looking at a black and white Hollywood movie. It is created by the two guys who would later go on to create King Kong. And it is, of course, based on the short story about a shipwreck. And it's a short story from 1924, so I'm not too worried about spoilers here, about a shipwrecked person who is being hunted by basically an eccentric millionaire, an eccentric count living on a stranded desert island. Yeah, and you know, I read online that this movie was shot while they were making King Kong, like using the same sets. Oh, um, I did not know that. Because of how long it took to do all of the animation for King Kong, they, I guess, decided just to use the same time to shoot another movie that would not require all of that uh, complicated animation. And this movie stars uh, Joel McRae and Fay Ray. Fay Ray, of course, also in uh, King Kong. Right, um, right. So, Matt, what did you uh, think of this movie? So, I did like it. It starts off, they're just like sitting on a boat, and they're just kind of shooting the breeze. And then the main character is a big game hunter, and someone asks him what it would be like to be hunted. And then, moments later, their ship runs into a coral reef, I believe, and he ends up washed ashore. The irony is, of course, not lost on the audience. Yeah, the film is fairly uh, blunt with its... You know, what would it be like for a human being to be hunted? I mean, that literal topic is discussed within like the first three minutes. Right. I don't know if there's a point of going to subtlety when you're talking about, right, someone running through the jungle and being chased chased uh, by a crazy person with weapons. So it's not subtle. I think it's a, you know, the, the concept, if I could just talk about the concept, which kind of goes back more to the short story even than the movie, but it's a very interesting concept. You know, I think we see a lot of, shades of that throughout a lot of things in popular culture it made me think of like the hunger games for example um stephen king did a story where which was also turned into a movie where people are being hunted on a game show the running man right so it's a very it's something about the concept of it i think kind of speaks to some kind of inherent human subconscious there's this contrast between like civilization uh quote unquote in quote mark civilization and that humans are capable of. So it's a very interesting concept. It does just kind of start off with just sort of a blah, like you're just sitting there talking the breeze about basically what the movie's about. Uh, once things get going, though, you know, I got into it. I liked it. I also appreciate the fact that it's only an hour long, which 
maybe I shouldn't give them credit for, but I feel like movies nowadays are all like two hours and 20 minutes. So I like the idea that we could watch a movie that's an hour. Yeah, there was a time period here with these pre-code dramas where the 65, 70-minute film kind of had a little moment of popularity, which, yeah, is nice. I um, And it's also worth mentioning you talk about the inspirations that seem to come from this, but this short story has been uh, straight adapted into film like many, many times. There's probably maybe close to like eight to ten different adaptations of this story um, going up, like even up until last year or two, somebody did another. I believe there's one called The Game starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. The Jean-Claude Van Damme one, isn't that a hard target? It's a good question. I'll have I to look that the, up. I think there was one called Surviving the Game. Maybe I'm yeah. mixing up two. Anyway, the point being, yes, it's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of material to be mined just from this kind of very simple concept. But I did think it was a good movie. Once it gets going, I think it gets interesting. You've got sort of this creepy cast of characters. It almost made me think of like something like Dracula, where you've got the castle the eccentric weirdos yeah i i um really enjoyed all of the sets like i said um from what i read they were the sets in the background and stuff were being reused from king kong or at least some some of them were and i thought they looked great like i'm a big fan of old school style hollywood special effects i think there's just some kind of charm to them so all of that i thought looked great and you know um, I actually really liked this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. Like you said, it starts out fairly obvious, like in what they're talking about. But, um, you know, once they get to the creepy castle, then it starts going pretty quick with the hunt where uh, Joel McRae and Fay Ray are unleashed into the jungle and the Count begins hunting them. And I thought all of that was great. It was a pretty well done chase sequence that uh with them being chased around by the dogs and the count um and one thing that i really appreciated was you know there's like a variety of sort of things going on like they try these different traps and stuff so there's sort of like an escalation there and then also i really enjoyed how the uh camera work got more creative and kind of more formally daring as they went along like as the chase continued like it really worked for me in terms of like ratcheting up the tension like you start to get tracking shots and these like pov shots as they're like crashing through the jungle and then the final confrontation and yeah like i said this is like something that came out like close to 100 years ago so we're not going to worry about spoilers but like when they're uh joel mccray like rush comes into the castle and they just have this like knockdown drag out brawl that's just like in a wide shot of these two guys like crashing around a room i dug it i thought it was actually uh quite a bit of fun and like you said it's just a little over an hour long so it uh you know gets in quick and there's no fat little... to be trimmed not really no it's it's pretty exciting you know adventure story and then it gets in and out pretty quick i, I enjoyed it and, you know another odd thing it made me think of was um reminded me of the texas chainsaw massacre the reason being that the texas chainsaw massacre is the premise sort of is like what would it be like if we ate if we treated 
human beings the way that we treat animals, slaughtering them and eating the meat. And this film, and this, like you were saying, it's not subtle about this at all, but it's basically like, I think there's literally a line towards the end where Joel McRae's character is like, well, I, now I know what it's like to be hunted. But this film is basically like, what would it be like if we hunted people like, you know, animals? And I don't know if, if there is like some kind of social commentary that we're meant to take from that. I feel like maybe it was more just like a, you know, a premise for like a fun story. But, uh, but yeah, it made me think of, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre just in terms of putting in your face this allegory. I did like, as you mentioned, when they're having their the chase in the jungle, it's almost more like they're trying to outsmart each other because they're like laying traps. And then he's like thinking about the traps and how to get around it. So it's not just a brute a brute strength contest and it's not just him chasing him down and finding him there's this whole back and forth between them you know they're trying to trap each other they're trying to outsmart each other right there's it's uh it's not like always a literal chase it sometimes becomes sort of like a little chess match which i believe he once point describes it as chess right so i just double check this the hard target is the move film starring Jean-Claude Van Damme that is a loose adaptation of this story. And then there's Surviving the Game starring Ice-T. Rutger Hauer is another adaptation. So you think maybe you got your wires crossed there. I'll because say that I was half right. The Game is, of course, a David Fincher movie starring Michael Douglas. Right. Okay. You're right. Yeah. But there's also... There's also one called A Game of Death. There's another one called Run for the Sun. Bloodlust is another adaptation. And then there's one that's called The Woman Hunt. Is that exactly what it sounds like? Yeah, that one is is a Roger Corman unofficial adaptation. I'm going to guess it's real classy. Probably, yeah. Any last thoughts on The Most Dangerous Game? I also liked it. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. Like I said, it's a very evocative concept. It kind of speaks to something. I think inside of, it seems like almost everyone because it's such an enduring concept. Any last thoughts? Last word? Yeah, I don't know what else I would want to say about this movie other than that I really enjoyed it. I was surprised at how much I was able to get into the get into it at the end. It, it's a really uh, crackerjack piece of adventure filmmaking. Let me just say this. It's a hoot. Next up is Superman Past and Future, which I really did not know what to expect going into. So this is a trade paperback collection, sort of a curated thematic Superman collection of time travel stories, starting in the, I believe, the 50s um, at the actual Siegel and Schuster, or Siegel and the Schuster studio, and going all the way up to the like late Bronze Age, right before the crisis. So there's a wide variety of things in here. It actually starts in 1939 and goes up to 1983. Well, I'm glad you're here to check these things. Yeah, you know, I had suggested this as a topic, and I had actually bought this trade paperback on clearance uh, at my local comic book store, and I just thought that it looked like it might be fun. And you know what? It turns out it was fun. I enjoyed reading this. I think, I mean, obviously with a collection like this, 
some of the stories are going to work better than others, and we can talk about which ones uh, didn't work. But I think that the one that was my favorite was the uh, the one that's like the four-part story that's written by Edmund Hamilton and drawn by the great Kurt Swan, the Superman of 2965 saga. Right, where it doesn't even have Superman in it. It's Superman's distant descendant in the future. Right, and it has him fighting this guy named Mudo. And instead of kryptonite, his weakness is seawater, which is a little weird. But he also then fights. He teams up with Batman of the future to fight like Joker of the future as well. Right. Seems like we're just reaching in the bag to find a weakness because it's literally like he doesn't have to be submerged in seawater. You can just like throw it at him. Yeah, I think the idea was that the seawater of Earth has become irradiated in some way so that therefore. Well, it mentions it's actually the seawater of every planet. Because when he goes to other planets, he's weak to their seawater as well. Oh. Seawater, man. You never know. I thought that one was good. My favorite is probably Superman Under the Red Sun, where Superman gets trapped in the far future, and the Earth has transitioned to a red sun, uh, and he's the only person left alive. The humans have abandoned the Earth. It's under a red sun, so of course Superman is powerless. So he's trapped in like this post-apocalyptic world. I thought that was good. There's a lot of really good imagery of like bearded Superman wandering around this ruined Earth. So I would say Superman Under the Red Sun is my favorite. I uh, I also like the one where Jimmy Olsen accidentally becomes a Nazi. Jimmy Olsen always gets into a lot of, let's call them Jimmy Olsen situations that really right. don't happen to anyone else. And this is probably the most bizarre in some ways. I mean, there's ones that we could say are more bizarre in like a physical sense because he gets tra- there's actually an amazing transformations of Jimmy Olsen paperback that just has a lot of these stories where he becomes like Fat Jimmy and Porcupine Jimmy and Stretchy Jimmy and different kinds of Jimmys. But yeah, he goes back in time and accidentally becomes a high-ranking Nazi. Yeah, uh, you know, worthy just for the just the sheer like oddball, the oddness of it. Like someone approved this and they were like, "Yes, Jimmy Olsen would be a Nazi." Uh, accidentally, it's a little, it's a very fine line to tread. How do you accidentally become a high-ranking Nazi? And he even gets like a personal award from Hitler. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you'd get away with Jimmy Olsen accidentally he becomes friends with Hitler nowadays. Yeah, the idea is is that he knows the future, so he gives them predictions of what's going to happen, but he always does it so that it's like too late for them to actually do anything about it. So he's sort of like proving his loyalty to the Nazis while not not actually helping them in any way. Right. Yeah. You know, one thing I like about these stories, one thing I sort of appreciate is the storytelling, let's say storytelling simplicity of it. It's just taken as a fact that Superman has the ability to travel backwards and forwards in time at will. Well, you know, one of the funny things is that almost in each story, there's like a different time travel mechanism involved. Like right, Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen has to use Jimmy Olsen and Lois have to use actual time machines, but they acquire them with very little effort. It's basically like, oh, I'm going to go borrow the professor's time machine. Right. As if like traveling back into the past is just like the world's simplest endeavor. Right. But Superman can just travel backwards and forwards in time. By going really fast if he travels really fast he breaks the time barrier right and then he can go back in time which is a i feel like 
I mean, this goes into uh, pre-crisis Superman, I suppose, is, is like so powerful that he can basically do anything. He can go backwards and forwards in time. Of course, he's Superman, so he's a nice guy, so he does not abuse his power. He does not try and alter history. But I guess theoretically, he could go back every day and do all kinds of things. Well, the first story is explicitly about him attempting to alter history. Right, and then it doesn't work. The first story is him as Superboy trying to stop Lincoln from being assassinated. And then he meets adult Lex Luthor, who is also in the past, hiding from Superman. The message being that you can't change the past just because it's cosmic destiny or something. So don't bother trying. Which I suppose maybe is why Superman doesn't try later. There's the... What did you... Do you have any thoughts on the one after that where he goes back in time just simply to collect autographs from famous historical figures so that a disenfranchised youth can win an autograph contest? It seems yeah, that, like sort of a wacky thing to do with your time travel powers. That was definitely the weakest story. And here the artist is uh, John Sakella, And it was uh, the worst... Well, I don't want to say worse. That's a little mean, but um, definitely the least visually appealing story in here. Because before that, you had the first one is like is uh, George Papp, and then we've got John Sakella, and then Wayne Boring and Al Plastino are both pretty well regarded Superman artists from that time period. And then there's a bunch of Kurt Swan stories. So this is the story that I think is I assume using like the Schuster Studio because it's meant to look like Schuster's uh, artwork. Oh, that could be it. Yeah, but this is definitely the 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 weakest story. It's very, I don't know. It's just like dumb and it doesn't look that good. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was okay, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't leave you with a whole lot. It's it's a pretty simple setup. He's just trying to help a kid win a contest, so he travels backwards in time to win to win autographs for him. It, it's it's that odd sort of thing where he has this vast power, and I guess we could say he's a nice guy, so he's going to use his vast cosmic world shaking power to just help a kid win a contest so he can feel good about himself. I guess because he's Superman, he's that nice of a guy. Yeah, it seems like a sort of trivial use for uh, time travel. What did you think of the of uh, Under a Red Sun? Because that was kind of my favorite. Superman yeah. Under the Red Sun. I like that a lot, too. It reminded me of, I believe there's a episode of the Superman cartoon show with like a similar premise. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I like that one a lot, too. There's like these alien creatures that he has to... And I believe, is that a Kurt Swan story? Well, that's the Al Plastino one, who I also like as a Superman artist. But yeah, I enjoyed it. It's uh, I, don't, always... I don't know if the payoff was necessarily there, but the premise is strong. There's a lot of really good imagery. There's a lot of good moments. I Superman like... sort of traveling across the post-apocalyptic world. With a robot of Perry White? Right, with robots that from the Superman like museum. I'm not sure how they know that Superman is connected to Perry White. I guess I'm not sure how, how that works. But, yeah, I thought that was a good story. We have Jimmy Olsen accidentally becomes a high-ranking Nazi. Uh, we have Silver Age Lois Lane, who is a very strange person who does strange things. Oh, yeah, this one. So this is called Lois Lane's Romance with Jor-El, and it involves— So this is from Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, and it involves Lois Lane traveling back in time to the— planet krypton in attempting to seduce superman's father which one is does. yeah it's really bizarre you know what the 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 saving grace of this story though that it's drawn by a kurt uh, schaffenberger who i think is a fantastic superman artist and he drew a whole bunch of these superman's girlfriend lois lane stories and i find his work really good i, I love his figures and his facial expressions i think he's 
uh, wonderful. It's unfortunate that all of these men's girlfriend Lois Lane stories are always so bizarre, and the the gender politics of them are just so hideous and regressive. Because Lois Lane is always like this super ditzy, like love obsessed woman who cares about nothing in the world other than winning the approval of Superman, which in this story leads her to travel back in time to attempt to seduce Superman's father because of can't even remember what her logic on that is. At the end, she finds Superman as a baby and starts like kissing him. Yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with Silver Age Lois Lane, but it seems like safe to say she's kind of a lunatic. Yeah, it's really bizarre. One of the things I like about Superman stories from this time period, and one of the reasons why I think Superman and other serialized comic characters have such a long lifespan, is the variety of stories you can tell. The place a lot of these stories really excel is in the concepts, right? The ideas. And I think that's what really shines through. You can see where someone like Grant Morrison gets a lot of inspiration from these kinds of stories, especially, I think, the Superman of the future has, I think, a direct influence on DC One Million, I would assume, as well as Under a Red Sun. Seems to have some influence on his New 52 Superman stories. The same is definitely true of other comic characters, including Batman, who has a lot of sci-fi stories. But I think these stories work with a character like Superman really well. He's kind of a science fiction concept already. I think two of the weaker ones are actually more recent the one about Superwoman traveling back in time. The kicker to it is actually very similar to the Jimmy Olsen story, where someone travels back in time to find the identity of something, and then, to the surprise of no one, including the audience, they are actually their own secret. They solve the mystery. The mystery was they were the missing person from history all along. I don't know if I like that story all that much. It's okay. Again, we see a very sort of perfunctory explanation of time travel. Apparently all universities in the future have access to time machines and you can rent one for the weekend or what have you. The other story that I was sort of nonplussed about was the tie-in to Commandy, where Superman has to go in the future to fetch his own costume. It starts out strong with this Father Time character zipping around Metropolis. I was kind of digging that. Um, we go into this future, he gets his costume, there's a connection to Commandy there, Jack Kirby Commandy series, where the people in the future, post-apocalyptic future, are worshipping the Superman costume. It's kind of non-committal on that one as well. Overall, I think it's a really strong collection. I like a lot of it. I like Superman stories, I like the sci-fi element, I like the whole thing. Some of the storytelling from this time period kind of fizzles at the end, but I'm okay with that. I make my peace with it. It is what it is. My recommendation for this episode would actually be a time travel movie. I'm going to recommend the independent movie Primer. Uh, this had a lot of critical acclaim when it came out, so a lot of people probably saw it. But it's been a while since it came out, so maybe fewer people have seen it now. Uh, it is a time travel story, basically the opposite of all these Superman stories, where they treat time travel as just a plot element, like, oh, we want to travel in time, boom, we're back in the past. It actually goes into all the nuts and bolts, this sort of sci-fi nerd you know, cause and effect of time travel. What would this happen? How would this happen with time travel? It's very interesting. It's like a puzzle. It's kind of like, um, if you want to compare it to another movie, just sort of in the thematic stylings of it, you could almost compare it to something like Memento. So that's my recommendation. Indie time travel movie Primer. A lot of people saw it, but it has been a while since it came out, so there might still be some people that haven't seen it. 
My recommendation is another film starring Joel McRae. This one is a western called Stranger on Horseback, directed by Jacques Turner. And it is about McRae playing a judge who has to travel to a frontier town to oversee criminal proceedings against a man who is related to this local bigwig rancher who's kind of got everyone in his pocket. And it's sort of a you know simple setup, and it's a low-budget film. It's about 75 minutes long. But in McCray's performance, you get you know the kind of thing that you get in like a, another film like High Noon, which I always find really fascinating and really appealing, which is just this idea of the hero sticking to his uh, morality and refusing to give in to compromises and to corruption and to the easy way out and it's something that you know can be with a hero it can be easy to do in practice but then with you know all these stories and with the story too as things go on him sticking to what he knows is the right thing to do becomes a more difficult and a more dangerous proposition and i found the film surprisingly effective and surprisingly moving as everything came to a head. So that is the Western Stranger on Horseback, starring Joel McRae. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Army of Crime. And Dustin is at Dustin4444. Let us know what you thought. If you thought we missed something, uh, just let us know. If you want to leave a review, whatever podcatcher you use, Stitcher, I use Podcast Republic. It's all good. Whatever you're listening to us on, if you thought it was worth a listen, give us a five-star review. That would be very, very helpful. Or like I said, find us on Twitter, social media, let let us know what you thought. As always, try and stay alive out there in the scary, dystopian world of the future that we live in now. Do you want to say hi to Uncle Dustin? No, he doesn't.